This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Yes, that's right. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max. Thanks to Bastion GRP. For all your specialist needs in engineering and defense, go to bastiongrp.com. On the show with me today is the CEO of Basketball Australia, Matt Scriven. Matt, it's great to have you here in studio. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Max, and uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no worries. It's an absolute uh, privilege to have you on, Matt. Now, I want to get into, I guess, your career. Obviously, a basketball fan um, growing up and playing basketball as a kid. What was that like? Oh, I mean, I... I Played all sports as a as a young fella, and um, sort of felt, found myself falling into basketball. Um, you know, a little bit later, and you know, I loved to grow up around the the Nunawading Spectres. Um, played there as a junior, and then sort mm. of, you know, played a, a number of seasons at uh, a couple of other clubs at uh, a Siebel level, which is equivalent to NBL one now. So, you know, the sport was was a huge part of my growing up, and you know, made lifelong friends playing in those teams that still my best mates today. Yeah, absolutely. Was there a realistic point of view, uh, I guess, between yourself and basketball when all you had to make a choice? Yeah, I, I played a fair bit of footy and, and basketball, and it probably was then when I started to make, you know, I made the under-16 state team for Vic Metro, and at that stage I thought, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'm going to continue with basketball. Yep. And my two best mates were playing, you know, at, at Nunawading at the time and made the state team as well. So it just sort of became natural that that's where I spent most of my time and, you know, I love the sport, so it sort of just went from there. A lot of great names go through that Vic Metro program. What was that like to be a part of? Oh, it was unbelievable, you know, and I was probably also very privileged to play yep. at Nunawading at the time. And, you know, that's when they had an NBL team playing mm. out of Nunawading Basketball Stadium as well, coached by Barry Barnes. And, um, you know, very privileged to play in that program and then, you know, play with, with Vic Metro at sort of 16s, 18s and 20s and, mm. um, you know, be – be coached by great people as well and just be part of the national championships was a great experience. Who was your head coach? Uh, 16s was a guy called Rupert Daly who was yep. at Melbourne Tigers. Um, 18s was David Fulton um, who coached uh, mainly at Diamond Valley and Bulleen uh, mm-hmm. around. I still think he's coaching at Box Hill Secondary College at the moment. And then 20s was uh, Colin Donovan. Yeah, well, what was that like? And who do you think, I guess, you got the most out of in terms of coaching style and what really added value to your game? I think probably a lot of different coaches. I think mm-hmm. one thing that I learned, you know, coming through the Nunawading program was the real discipline and, and team yep. structures and, um, you know, v- being very well drilled at that stage. You know, um, Barry Barnes, who was the NBL coach, had a strong influence over the junior program. And, mm. you know, people like John Walsh from the 12s and Tim Cutler at 14s, Mark Landells, Mark Watkins and and Steve Ditlaviega, who was an import who played at Siebel at Nunawading, you know, later in the in sort of my era, sort of 18s and 20s. So, you know, I think I learned a lot from a number of different coaches. Um, and then probably later in my sort of senior career, Glenn Bynes, who coached me for a couple of years, um, you know, he was assistant coach to Bruce Palmer at the Giants there for mm-hmm. a number of years. And he had a huge influence on my, my life as well as my, my sort of basketball career. Obviously getting into sales, was that a career path I guess you were interested in growing up? Yeah, probably not as, as much. I was sort yep. of, you know, real focused on the marketing side and, you know, finished uh, my degree in, in business and marketing at Swinburne there and then sort of actually fell into a marketing role at the NBL before they sort of moved to Sydney at that stage. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, ended up at, at Channel 9 in a commercial role, which I absolutely loved. Um, and it sort of progressed from there. 
what was that like, I guess, having that marketing experience at the NBL? What was that like to start off with? Because obviously, I guess, from 1998 to 2000, the league was still, I guess, holding strong until a bit of a downfall um, that decade. Yeah, and I probably went in, and it was I was in that period where it moved from winter to summer seasons yep. and that transition. And, you know, come off probably the back of that Halcyon era through the mid to late 90s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it was great to be around, you know, marketing qualified in a marketing role at a sport that I loved was, you know, it was a fantastic couple of years that I really enjoyed. So, you know, at that stage, the NBL was going really strong. Um, and, you know, packing out Rod Laver Arena between the Magic and the Tigers days, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was just great to sort of cut my teeth in sort of, you know, a professional environment from a work perspective. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better start. I love watching all those replays and hearing all the old stories between uh, the Magic and the Tigers from guys like Gazy and Parky and things like that. Do you have a particular memory um, from those matchups or rivalries that stand out to you? No, probably similar to all of them. It's, you know, being at some of those games at Rod Laver at Magic Tigers games where they were, you know, you see Drewy with, you know, bandages wrapped around his yeah. head and Tony <laughs> Ronaldson with blood pouring out of his face. And, you know, it with 15,000 people was, was fantastic. You know, that was really was the peak of the sport at that stage. It's probably surpassed that now. But, you know, they're probably the best memories that I have is in a packed out Rod Laver arena. Can you talk me through, I guess, your first ever marketing pitch or sales pitch, I guess, from that point of view and what, what that was like, I guess, Jeez. putting together? It's, uh, uh, I don't know. I think, um, you know, I always have this big belief in preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, confidence comes from preparation is, is my f- view. And regardless of what it is, is spending that time to prepare for anything that you do. So that's – I spend a lot of time sort of, you know, preparing for things. Yep. Um, and so probably less about, you know, I like to be able to understand the individual that I'm, or organisation that I'm I'm talking to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have this view as it's, it's one way or the highway. It's, you know, very much about a, a, an approach to whoever you're, you're talking to is, is a tailored approach. So preparation along with being able to adapt to, to who it is that you're presenting to. Yeah, absolutely. What was that like, obviously, I guess almost 10 years uh, at nine as, I mean, director of sales and managing director what was that like to be, I guess, and it, did it give you a sense of what you wanted to get into in terms of being a CEO? Yeah, I think it did. And, you know, the, I've always had that marketing commercial lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and being at Nine was, once again, a huge institution, culturally really strong um, and surrounded by some great people. So the learning curve was was fantastic. Um, and once again, really learnt how to, how to go about things um, instilling much more around I think the leadership mindset Mm -hmm. you know nine was such a strong leader at that stage so you know learning how to be that and and also then coming from a successful junior program like Nunna Whiting it just felt like there's very similar environments in in a lot of ways um but yeah it sort of set me up for for where I wanted to go um but you know always had that marketing and commercial lens um over things and then moving into the MD role um at nine was was another great experience it was at the stage when Nine and Fairfax merged, so mm-hmm. the age for AW and Channel Nine, and being three sort of you know major institutions in Melbourne, and being a part of that, and integrating those businesses to become Nine Melbourne was a was an amazing experience for me. How'd you view that, and how'd you I guess deal with all those kinds of things? Because that's probably one of the biggest media broadcast deals uh, in history. Yeah, and I, I think it is. But you know, one thing that I've always believed in you're you're only as good as the people that work with you. 
mm-hmm. um, and so you know it's about a collaborative team effort. You know, and at nine and and through our W and the Age, you know, had some great people. So very much about a collective approach to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never had the belief that you know I have all the answers. Definitely don't, but it's about a collective mindset to be able to get towards a you know, an aligned goal or, or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And at that stage, nine was, was very much like that. It's coming into, I guess, 2020 and COVID. What was that period of time like for you? I believe in July, you transitioned into uh, a different role. Yeah. And I thought, you know, it took some time out and really, you know, I love the, you know, one thing I did love, love at nine was, was the content and production, you know, like what you do now. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a huge believer in, 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 in content and that yep. storytelling element. And, and I love that part. COVID was, was challenging. Um, but worked with some great people who had produced television over that time and, and, you know, really enjoyed that stage because it allowed for the creativity mm-hmm. that I probably didn't have a lot through that marketing commercial lens. But, um, and then the, the basketball Australia role came up. Can you talk me through some of those creativity, creativity, I mean, ideas and things to, I guess, build and bring in extra revenue through COVID? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, particularly around creating assets, you know, yep. I think through that and I think content allows you to go and create assets. And, you know, I think it's about the content creation side of it, you know, engaging audiences and mm-hmm. aggregating lots of, you know, eyeballs or ears in, in this sort of scenario and then commercializing those. So they're sort of the three pillars that, you know, I tended to focus on was the content creation, the engagement of audiences, and then the commercialization. You mentioned the Australia, basketball Australia role, um, popping up. What, How'd that all come about for you? Um, I mean, for some reason, even, you know, it sort of ended up in the media side for 15 years. I always sort of, whether I sort of subconsciously thought I'd end up back in basketball, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd always been involved in it. My kids, you know, got involved and played. So I was yep. coaching and things like that. So, yep. you know, this role came up, had a couple of people say to me, you know, you'd be good for this role and, you know, had a couple of chats and, and then it went from there. So I think timing was was right. Um, you know, had a passion to drive the sport, the sport forward. Mm. Um, and combined with that timing, um, yeah, it sort of worked out. Was there a big key takeaway for you? Um, I guess through marketing and through 15 years in the media side that you took with you into this role? Yeah, very much. I mean, you know, we're, we're at basketball Australia, we've got a huge focus on being a marketing basketball and commercial led organization, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the product, but very much underpinned by, you know, exceptional operations, governance and decision-making and, and, and mm-hmm. the culture piece from a, from a people point of view. But, you know, if we're to achieve what we want to achieve as a sport, you know, we've got to be, you know, marketing commercial led, you know, and using the product that we've got, which is obviously basketball. So, you know, we've had a strong focus on that as an organization and continue to do so today. Um, it's the reason we host as many events as we can. Um, we've gone on a big commercial journey. So the more money we've got, the more that we can reinvest back into the, to the growth of the sport. Developing basketball pathways, Australia's a, um, incredible program. Obviously I believe Darren Smith, um, is the head of that, an absolute legend, um, of Australian basketball. What's that been like to introduce and develop, I guess, another marketing aspect, um, that branches off this whole basketball Australia? Yeah. And I think BA pathways is such a, an important part, you know, we've got, I think there's over 400 boys and girls, yep. you know, playing in college or men and women um, playing in college at the moment. So having someone who can provide the right advice to, mm. you know, those athletes and parents about how to make that happen. You know, it's not a, 
just an easy process. There's, you know, requirements around sort of certain, you know, academic results and, and obviously the athletic performance that goes with that as well. So, you know, there's lots of different operators out there, but, you know, BA had a, before my time, the vision to be able to create that as a, an education opportunity for parents yep. and athletes to help them get there. So I guess your first month or so coming in, it was a big month. What was the build-up like to that Tokyo Olympics? Well, I, I started two weeks before Tokyo. Um, so that was sort of my, my time. And in the middle of COVID, um, everyone was working from home. So coming into a new organisation, really trying to reset the organisation as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that was challenging doing it over video calls. Mm. Um, Did you get to, I guess, have a meeting with Brian Gorgian or anyone like that before? No, I didn't. I, I sort of knew Gorge, you know, yeah. prior through through sort of, you know, number of years of playing, et cetera. But, you know, once they sort of got to, they were in Vegas before that and then dropped into Tokyo. So, you know, nothing to do with me, no influence from me whatsoever. But, um, you know, it was just sort of a great opportunity that there was a couple of issues, which has obviously, you know, been well documented with the, with the Opals prior to Tokyo. But, and that was really my first taste of Basketball Australia. And then, you know, post that, the men winning the bronze and it was you know, really about setting the foundations for how we can capitalise on that. You know, Aussie hoops went through the roof, people wanting to play basketball, people wanting to buy merch. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that was about, you know, maximising what the men had just achieved with the bronze medal. Obviously, you mentioned there was a couple of issues um, with the Opals heading into that World Cup. Was that a stressful two weeks for you, considering what had gone, gone on, especially with all the Liz Cambage um, saga kind of thing and, I mean, Jenna O'Hay was kind of taking a back step from um, number of minutes she's played. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's, you know, not just at any stage, but, you know, leading into a benchmark event being, you know, the Olympics was it was a huge time. And, you know, these teams put in enormous amount of preparation to get to that point. Um, and to have that sort of level of disruption was, mm. Mm. you know, was challenging for the girls, the coaching staff and, and everyone else that was there. So, you know, I think... From our side, yeah, it was it was challenging, but the process we went through, I think, was was pretty good. But you know, more importantly, I think the way that the girls and the coaching staff sort of galvanised after that um, didn't have the greatest result at Tokyo, but but battled really hard. But to end up then twelve months later and win a bronze medal at the World Women's World Cup was just a phenomenal effort. Yeah, absolutely. What did you know? How much I guess it meant that bronze medal for the men's to all of Australia until, I guess, Aussie hoops started surging. Everything started going up. Australian basketball merch was flying. Yeah, I think um, I think everyone knew it meant something, but I think the defining moment for me was seeing, you know, Gazy on, you know, TV on, on Brian, seven yeah. at that stage, you know, and mm. how, how much it meant to him, you know, that emotional. And that's from years, you know, from himself, his father and everyone else that's come before um, you know, the guys that won that bronze medal, it's, it's years of hard work. And, um, and I think it meant so much to, to everyone, um, who's put in those hard yards, but, you know, the boomers have got such a, you know, a strong reputation and awareness mm. around the mm. country and to see those guys now playing the NBA, you know, to see them achieve that result, um, was, was outstanding for everyone. I mean, so do the Opals. I mean, and you mentioned before setting that high standard of how we want to grow, um, as an organisation, can you talk to me a little bit about that, um, especially the expectations and standards you wanted to set? Yeah, and I think Opal's, you know, are arguably one of Australia's most successful teams. Yeah, know, Particularly from a women's point of view. Um, 
you know, they've had enormous success. Started off with the, you know, the Robert Mars and the Michelle Tims of the world mm-hmm. and, and that sort of era coached by, you know, Tom Maher into the Jan Sterlings. And then, you know, we get into the Penny Taylors, the Lauren Jacksons of the world. So, you know, Opals have set this standard for a number of years. And, mm. um, and there is an expectation that every time they play at a benchmark event, they podium. Um, and they've set those standards for themselves. And, and I think that's probably the most pleasing thing we saw out of the, the FIBA Women's World Cup last year in Sydney was they reset those standards yep. off the back of Tokyo. They did it themselves. Um, and Lauren coming back into that team really helped that. Um, and then I think you saw the results um, for those standards. But, you know, I think um, they really emulate, along with the boomers, what Australian basketball is all about. Mm. You know, it's it's teamwork. It's team before self. Um, you know, they're strong. They look after each other and they have this never-die attitude. You know, every time they step on the court, they're going 110%. That never-die attitude is the driving culture behind Australian basketball and particularly the Opals, Lauren Jackson, do you feel like that just united the whole group once again? It was a bit dismantled after the Tokyo Olympics, and you could see it out on court um, as soon as they hit the court for the FIBA World Cup. And even prior to that, in all their photo shoots and things like that, it, they looked re-energised. Yeah, they did. And, you know, I think, you know, those that, that know Lauren, she she has an enormous presence and she has, you know, enormous standards as well. You know, that's why she's, you know, arguably the greatest of all time. So... You know, the impact that she had on that group was not only just from a playing performance, but, you know, from the very first time she stepped on court at a training camp in Canberra, you could see the intensity lift, you could see the standards lift, and and that's the impact that she had. And I think, you know, the group definitely, there's no no question the group was better with her in the team. The Australian culture obviously set and the footmarks and legacy left behind by not only Andrew Gaze, but Lindsay Gaze. And now Paddy Mills puts his footprints um, on that Australian culture and you can really see it thriving. Yeah, I think you can. And I think, you know, the pleasing thing is, is every current group that comes through has this ability to recognise the past. And I think that's that's really great about what we have as a sport. You know, I don't think basketball has been, been great at recognising history mm-hmm. in the past, but... Mm-hmm. You know, the Opals and the Boomers now are, are very entrenched in in recognising those that come before them. You know, at the Women's World Cup last year, you know, there was so many past Opals that yeah. made the trip there. There was yeah. an Opals reunion and that's, you're part of something, you know. And um, and I think the current Boomers are exactly the same. And, and that's why you see, see that outpouring of emotion with, with Drewy at, um, yeah. when they win the bronze medal. So how are you guys trying to build standards and things like that leading into this FIBA World Cup for the men? Well, I think, you know, I've got a great coach in, in Brian Gorgian and the system that sits around him and, you know, the coaching staff that are there, um, our high-performance high structures that are in place and, and particularly Jason Smith who who leads the senior national teams now with Boomers and Opals. So, mm, mm. you know, we've got really well-credentialed, you know, high-performing people that are around that program as well. Combined with the athletes themselves now, you don't have to, you know, ask those guys to set the standards. That's what they yep. do every day. That's why they're in the NBA, most of them. And yep. um, But the ability then for them to teach the new guys that come into that is a really important part. No, this is what it's all about to be a boomer. Obviously, you just mentioned there the new guys coming in, Josh Giddy, Josh Green, Dyson Daniels. How do you feel about Australia going forward? Where the team men and women are both in a strong position. We've got high numbers of representation in both the NBA and WNBA. 
how do you feel about that going forward and I guess the standards um, and culture being passed on from a core group like Daly, Ingalls, Aaron Baines and Paddy Mills passing that on to, I guess, the next generation? Yeah, we're, we're probably really blessed in that regard, you know, from a from a transitional point of view. You know, Paddy, Joe and Daly have all been around for such a long period of time and built mm. it to what it is now. Mm. And, you know, they've probably got a, a couple of years left or a few years left and, um, and then the injection of the new guys coming in. So that transition piece for guys like Josh and Dyson and Josh Greens of the world gives the ability to be around those guys before they leave and then they can take that over. So we're really blessed with that um, on both, you know, the, the men and the women in that regard. But I think that the future is really bright for Australian basketball. You know, the depth of talent is, is exceptional. Um, our pathways work, the center of excellence works. Um, you know, and we're producing, you know, high quality athletes, but you know, as important is, is producing good people. Can you talk me through the steps in the deal that secured Australia um, some home friendly games prior to this World Cup uh, at Rod Laver Arena. I mean, it's going to be massive in August. Yeah, no, I think we, you know, we, we sort of looked at the schedule and and because the World Cup's based in our region in Asia, you know, a lot of teams have got to travel to Asia, um, you know, and going back to that sort of marketing commercial basketball-led organisation, we want to host as many games as we can. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want our best teams playing in front of the local fans, you know, um, to really inspire the next generation. Yeah. Um, allow the basketball fraternity to see the best athletes that we have. So, you know, we were pretty aggressive around hosting games. Um, you know, some national federations were already committed to different regions of the world. But, um, you know, and the Victorian government, Visit Victoria, have been, you know, continually supportive of basketball and, you know, we managed to to come to a position to host those games at Rod Laver Arena. And, um, you know, I think it puts basketball on the map in this town and, and to play at the premier basketball venue, I think is, um, it says everything about where we are as a sport. Um, and particularly, you know, from a boomers brand point of view and the, and the athletes that we have playing. So when you look at the number of representation, um, across the WNBA at the moment, I mean, we've got three Aussies in the Seattle storm team, Jad Melbourne, Ezzy Magbagal, and the star herself, Sammy Wickham. What's it like to see, these girls really flourishing together and then not only in that same team, but you look across now with the trades in, I guess, the past week or so, you've got Jack White, Paddy Mills and Josh Giddy all playing together on the same team. It looks like it's setting up this, I guess, healthy nutritional um, chemistry between trios and stars um, of our game. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, it's great to see as many athletes as we do in the WNBA and NBA first and foremost. I yeah. think it's it's exceptional. It's testament to you know, what we have here in our system and the athletes that are being produced. But, you know, I think whether they're playing on the same team or against each other, you know, to have that connection, I think only helps when they come back and play for the national team. You know, I think you see some some great images and video pieces at the end of games when they've played each other, embracing and having a chat and the smiles. And, you know, that's, it's, it's great to see, you know. And um, I think in some of those places, they can be lonely for, some athletes and to have that connection with someone who you you know and you play with on a national team would be you know an amazing I think you see that come through with some of the images you see with the both the WNBA athletes and NBA athletes yeah absolutely now I want to talk WNBL obviously Larry Kesselman had offered to buy out the WNBL and standards on that playing standards and the physicality of players are increasing as a whole but um 
a decrease in ratings, obviously. Um, what was that like? Can you talk me through um, that process where Larry offered to buy out the WNBL? Yeah, I think if we start with the with the on-court, I think, you know, WNBL is, you know, arguably one of the best leagues in the world outside the WNBA. You know, the 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 um, the output on the court, the way the athletes are, our coaches in the league is, is exceptional. Um, you know, we see that come through week after week. Um, but we need to do some work off the court. You know, I think we need to increase the visibility, um, you know, the marketing and promotion investment, um, the resources in around the league and the clubs as well um, to provide a great game night experience as well as promotion and visibility of the WNBL. Um, you know, Larry amongst uh, others as well have, have reached out and, you know, want to be a part of the WNBL, which is a true testament to how, you know, good the league is and the opportunities that are there. So, you know, we're going through a process at the moment to, to look at what we do structurally, um, to seek some investment to come in um, and help grow the league because um, I think we've got this moment in time with the WNBL, particularly around women's basketball and women's sport, um, to really, you know, inject some some visibility and awareness around how great the product actually is. So obviously, Basketball Australia wants to keep majority investment in the WNBL? Yeah, we do. I think it's an important part and, you know, it's an integrated um, part of our whole women's basketball system. You know, it's a, it's a feeder into the, um, to the Opals. Mm. It's a great pathway for our high-performance programs and centre of excellence. Um, and then what you see currently playing around, um, you know, with the NBL1 around every state in the country. So it's a really important part of, of the basketball ecosystem. Um, but, you know, and, and VA, you know, is looking to have a, you know, a good stake in that. Obviously, kids are really excited at the moment with um, a number of NBA stars returning home to Australia. There's lots of basketball camps. Jock Landale's got one coming up uh, in a matter of weeks. Josh Giddy's had a couple already. What's it been like to see so many kids enjoying their basketball, loving the basketball, being inspired by this generation of athletes? And these athletes are setting the standard high for these kids who want to aspire to do the same things. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things on that. I love the fact that the guys and girls, you know, want to come back and, and you know, engage with, you know, grassroots and community. I think that's fantastic. It's where they all started. Um, so I think it's really important that they don't forget where they come from and or came from. And, and I think that's a really important part of it. And as you touched on there, it's about inspiring the next generation. And I think they all understand their role within that. Um, that's why playing games here is important and, and really holding those camps and opportunities for kids to engage with, you know, their idols playing in the WNBA and NBA. So, you know, if, if we can really inspire the next generation to keep choosing basketball, we're in a re really healthy position. There's going to be a tight, very tight push for selection and a couple of players might be a bit hard done by maybe names of like Jack White or Xavier Cooks might be a bit hard done by, do you think, to miss out on this World Cup? Oh, there's, there's going to be inevitably oh, a couple I'm sure, of players. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. there will be, you know, and that and that's the way. But, you know, that's not for me to, to get involved in. That's why we've got the the highly capable Brian Gorgian and his staff <laughs> to go and choose what they feel is the, is the right um, the right 12 to take away, you know, to who's going to be able to, you know, compete for a medal at the, the Men's World Cup. So, you know, I think that the exciting thing is that we there are hard choices to make. That's a really good thing. It mm. doesn't make it easier mm. to to tell someone they didn't make the team. But I think from an Australian basketball point of view, you know, the fact is there are really tough decisions to be made is, is really good for our sport. Last World Cup wasn't so great for Australia. We, we've heard what Andrew Bogut said. We've 
heard and obviously he spoke on the Rogues Bogues podcast. He did um, saying he feels that they're in a much stronger position um, heading into this World Cup. They're more united as one. Um, they're all together and obviously with training happening and in full swing, I've been speaking to um, Junior Verantileo. Obviously, you know Junior, he's um, an absolute star. So he's coming home to return um, alongside Paddy Mills and some stuff for the Paddy Mills um, Foundation and organisation. Um, but not only that, but um, to help out the Boomers with training and things like that too. So what does their, I guess, pre-World Cup schedule look like heading into a massive event? Yeah, and first of all, we love Junior, right? He's he's a superstar, and um, you know he's very very good at what he does. Um, but he's great to have around as well. So he's a very um, good culture person, isn't he? He's great, and you know really well liked, but highly you know respectful person as well. Um, but you know he's he's an amazing guy to have around. But you know first and foremost, he's very good at what he does as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. um, you know from a from a pre you know preparation leading into that. Um, you know, most of the guys are starting to come back now. Some are here already, as you, as you mentioned, um, and they'll head up to Cairns on 1st of August and go into a sort of a 10-day training camp up there, um, you know, do all their sort of team cultural things that they do, um, engage with local community as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll come into Melbourne um, and start preparing for those games. So the games are on uh, the 14th, 16th and 17th of August. Um, mm-hmm. They'll play those games and then head out to to Tokyo where we'll play France on the 20th of, of August and then um, into Okinawa to, to start the pool games. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned grassroots basketball before. How important is it to keep kids playing basketball, keep them active um, and keep them loving the sport, engaged in the sport, both boys and girls, and how have Basketball Australia are currently and, you know, in the last few months, I suppose, or 12 months, um, contributed to grassroots basketball? Yeah, I mean, the grassroots is the future of our sport. You know, the, the, our whole health and success of our sport depends on participation in the grassroots and how strong that is at the moment. So, you know, our, our biggest challenge at that level is facilities. We don't have enough facilities mm. for the growth to, to service the demand of the sport. Um, you know, kids are choosing basketball, you know, over and above any other sport right at the moment. Um and so that's a great thing to have, but we need more facilities for to to be able to handle that growth. Um, you know, we work a lot with the states and territories who do an amazing job, you know, facilitating, you know, local domestic competitions along with the associations. You know, we have Aussie Hoops that we, we run. We run a lot of engagement sessions out at um, different communities and associations. Lauren Jackson does She Hoops, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a large part of, of increasing participation in, in women's basketball and girls basketball at the grassroots community level as well. So, and, and the other part of that is, is hosting these games where we can really inspire, you know, someone who might be thinking about choosing basketball goes out to a Rod Laver game and sees Josh Giddy do what he does and mm-hmm. says, I want to be like that and joins a local club. So um, we're also doing a lot in schools as well. Um, basketball now is the most chosen sport through this, this um, government sporting schools program. So yeah, um, in 2022, basketball was the number one program, which um, which was really pleasing. There's obviously some emerging coach initiatives this year um, in program and throughout, and obviously the strategic program for Basketball Australia heading through um, until 2024. How do you see that? Yeah, I mean, from a coaching point of view, the States do a great job. You know, we're, we're very fortunate enough to have a, a guy called Peter Lonigan who operates out of our Centre of Excellence, who does a lot of work 
you know, traveling the country doing coaching clinics. He's exceptional. You know, his knowledge, his ability to teach and educate um, and bring coaches through the pathways is, is extraordinary. You know, just recently him and Damien Cotter were out uh, in Geraldton, you know, country WA, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, holding clinics and coaching clinics, et cetera. So he has a real, you know, passion but skill set to develop coaches coming through. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about athletes, but, you know, without coaches and referees, we don't have a game. Yeah. And um, so there are two areas that we're spending a lot of time ensuring that we bring more coaches and officials into the game and then being able to develop them through the pathways as well. Paris Olympics is also going to be huge next year for both the Boomers and the Opals. You'd expect the Boomers, now there's that standard expectation to meddle in that and they seem confident in doing so. Do you feel the Opals can do the same? Oh, definitely. I think you're right. The the now with, with what we've got, you know, internationally and our past performances, I think there becomes an expectation that, you know, Australia will at least podium or finish in the top four at, you know, those benchmark events, be it World Cups or Olympics. So Paris, I don't think will be any any different in that expectation. But it's tougher now. You know, basketball around the world is getting stronger. And, you know, we saw it just recently with the, the Women's Asia Cup, you know, some some teams that are really emerging through that. So, you know, we can't just expect to turn up and think we're going to finish in the podium or, or top four. So it's 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 tough. So, you know, those standards across both Boomers and Opals um, need to be at their highest as, as they deliver, as they always do. What are your t- plans in terms of marketing and revenue heading into the Paris Olympics? Um, you know, we're, there's, they're working on that preparation now, I think, because it's based in Europe. Um, mm. You know, WNBA season, um, we don't get the, a lot of those girls back till a couple of weeks prior to, to Paris. So yeah. that sort of puts a, a different lens on things. The NBA season finishes a little bit differently. Yeah. Ideally, we'd love to host again yeah. here, um, you know, some games pre-Paris, you know, really engage the community, do some, do the Basketball Australia Hall of Fame functions, reunions, et cetera, and really make it a big celebration before the teams go off to Paris. Mm-hmm. So that's a real focus if we can make that happen. But the fact that it's in Europe and we're in Australia and the tyranny of distance is a is a challenge. But, you know, we're, we're literally working through those preparations at the moment. Broadcasting deals in terms of the World Cup this year, how have you found them? I assume you'd be involved in them having had the um, experience in the media side and those kinds of negotiations. Yeah, so I think... Um, yeah, so those rights are negotiated by FIBA. So yep. FIBA does all those those rights, and they're with with ESPN um, mm-hmm. locally here. They have different, you know, broadcast deals in different regions. But yep. in Australia, FIBA has a has a deal with ESPN over a four year cycle. Um, we're working on our broadcast games now for the Boomers in in Australia or mm-hmm. Rod Laver. So we're pretty close to finalising that with a free to air partner, which will be, you know, great for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I think through that, but. Um, yeah, I think the visibility of the game now is is at its highest, right? Mm, absolutely. You can, you can jump on anywhere, YouTube or any sort of subscription or, you know, pay-per-view and, and see a game. Um, it's really made the world and the game really accessible to everyone. Have you found global basketball increasing? I mean, on a scale, I think last year the increase was basketball was third overall in terms of kids in schools and what they were choosing to do. Now, you mentioned before, kids are choosing basketball uh, over footy. Yeah, which is great, right? Yeah. And, and I think they're seeing, and it's, and I think the benefit that we have, it's a global sport, you know, and as great as AFL and NRL particularly are, and I, mean, I love those sports personally, 
they're still based in Australia, mm. right? Mm. And yes, rugby league's got some other internationals, but they're still Australian sports where basketball has got this global element to it. And, you know, basketball can take you to all corners of the globe. Um, and I think that's really appealing. It's, it's also a lifestyle. It's a culture. You look at fashion that comes with it, you know, the shoes, the street where you walk down the street here and, mm. and a lot of people have got such strong basketball influence. So, you know, that's an attractive part of why people get involved in the sport. Um, you know, and we're seeing that come through with, with, with the kids that are choosing it at school level as well. So, you know, I think we've got to be able to harness that, um, a little bit better and, um, it's basketball's a culture. And I mm. think that's what we're really starting to see come through now. Absolutely. Matt, what would be, I guess, your best advice personally to any incoming CEO or directors of sales in terms of marketing and bringing in revenue to organizations? Gee, that's a tough one. And and I'll go back to probably what I said at the start is, is surround yourself with good people, you know, and, and surround yourself with people who are smarter than you as well. I think that's, you know, really important. And, um, you know, you can't be insecure about your own job. You've got mm -hmm. to empower that mm -hmm. next that next level, and you know, bring in the required skill set um, to actually, you know, really drive the, you know, the the organisation forward. I think the CEO's role is to drive the vision and the strategy and have the hands on the wheel. But I really, you know, firmly believe that next level is is the one that makes the business tick. So, you know, it's all about people for me. Surround yourself with with good people. Um, and then develop the right strategy and plan and, and then the implementation that goes with that. But, you know, from a revenue point of view, I, I go back to, you know, creating assets, you know, and visibility and engaging those audiences. Once you start to get some audiences mm -hmm. and some demand for that, then you can start to, to drive some good revenue and commercialize those. Have you seen audiences grow, not only in terms of like the NBL, obviously that's separate in Larry Kesselman and Jeremy Liga, but in terms of um, global basketball, um, and audience increase. Yeah, I think we're seeing that, you know, grow exponentially now, you know, as we, we go back to access, you know, the ability now for people to, to watch a game um, on any device is the greatest it's ever been. So, you know, I think that the number one thing through that is being able to control your own content mm -hmm. as well. So once you've got control of your own content, you can, you can do what you want with it, whether it's through distribution deals or, you know, commercialize or monetize your own audience through direct channels as well. So, you know, I think we're seeing a real proliferation of, of those types of contents and audiences, which then obviously drives the, the monetization of that. There's obviously been some big NBL deals and I think some of them maybe major shocks. Obviously, Sarah Blitzarves comes across from Southside to the Melbourne Boomers. Then you see Kayla George and Tess Magid both signed with Sydney, which for me was um, a pretty big shock. I'm thinking, wow, I did not see Tess Magid or Kayla George leaving the Boomers. How have you viewed um, a lot of these WNBL signings this season? Some of them have just been extraordinary. Yeah, it has, and some big names changing teams, you know, and um, see Alice Koenig going to Townsville and Sammy Whitcomb going to Townsville and you know, Kayla and Tess and Lauren Nicholson moving from the championship team at, at mm. Townsville to, mm. um, to Sydney, which is, which is great. And then obviously the boomers and flyers. So it's, it's, you know, and then Anna Lee heading to Perth from Bendigo mm -hmm. and Perth are pulling together a good roster. Mm -hmm. So, and Keely Froling goes to the Keely Melbourne Froling, boomers yeah. too. So it's, it's great, right? It's yep. great for the league. And, you know, I think it shows the demand for, for players and, um, you know, I think there's, um, it's great to see great talkability, um, 
you know, Guy Malloy back coaching at Sydney Flames as well. It's great to have him back in the league. He did a great job with the Tall Ferns at the Asia Cup just recently as well. He's a great coach who's had enormous success as well. So, you know, across the board, this is, you know, the great opportunity for the WNBL to continue, you know, to increase the visibility and these sorts of things definitely help that. Absolutely. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute honour to have a chat with you. No problem, Max, and uh, thanks for your continued support. Thanks, Matt. Stay tuned, everyone, for, for another episode of Sporting Max. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.